So I got a question for you. How good are you at remembering things? I'm going to start this message by doing a little memory game with you. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to flash a picture up on the screen. I'm going to give you 10 seconds to look at that picture. After those 10 seconds, I will take that off of the screen. Actually, Kevin will do that for me. And after that 10 seconds, you are supposed to write down everything you remember about that picture. Now, here's what I want you to know. I'm going to be watching you right now while the picture is up there that none of you are writing anything down at this moment, okay? All you're going to do is look at this picture for 10 seconds on your mark. Hold on. Let me get it right at the 10. Get set. Go. Time. Write it down. Surely you can get one, right, Rita? <laughs> Three. <laughs> Seen a lot of faces looking at me now, so I'll, I'll, uh, I'll go ahead and ask the question. How many of you could remember at least five things you could write down on that piece of paper? Maybe you haven't written them all down. That's good. In the first service, I jumped right to ten, and, and nobody raised their hand. So I'll say, how about seven? How many of you can remember seven things? Oh, we have dwindled the crowd down. Ten? Anybody remember ten things? We got a couple, one person, one person who remembered ten things. Now, the lesson is some of us have better memories than others, don't they? For those of you who know Pastor Jeff, if you ever had a chance uh, to get to know him, you know he has an incredible memory. In fact, Jeff remembers things about my life that I've forgotten. <laughs> my mother, on the other hand, uh, is known notoriously in our family not to have the greatest memory. In fact, all growing up and still to this day, my mother will call me by my brother's name and vice versa. Some of you parents, you've gotten into that habit as well. But the low light of my life was when she actually called me Charlie one day, which is the name of our dog. Uh, so that's when things got really bad. Now we can laugh about that, but the truth is for some people, losing memory isn't a laughing matter at all. Some of you have loved ones who are going through uh, terrible diseases uh, where memory loss is becoming more and more apparent and evident in their lives. And it, you just, you're looking and crying out for God's grace in those moments. And the reason memory is so important and the reason losing memory uh, is so painful is because memory is connected to our identity. Our memory is connected to our identity. Memory is important because ultimately it reminds us of who we are. Now you might be asking the question, what in the world does this have to do with a series in 2 Timothy called Endure? Let me tell you what I think it has to do with it. If you're following on your notes with me this morning, remembering Jesus is vital to developing an enduring faith. It's a vital discipline to developing an enduring faith. We want to be people who endure. We have been saying in this series that when times of testing come, we must be ready to endure. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Paul tells Timothy one of the ways that we can grow in enduring faith is by developing this discipline of remembering. Of remembering so often when times of testing come into my life, and tell me this isn't true for you, my perspective shrinks enormously. 
All I can see is the present moment. All I can see is what's right in front of me. All I want is to get out of that time of testing. And what we are going to learn today, though, is we have this amazing thing where we can actually, in those moments, remember God's past faithfulness to us in those times of testing so that we can get a bigger, clearer picture of what's going on in our lives. And by the way, if, if you've read the Bible, you know that remembering is something that's really important to God, and it's a command he often gives to his people. Read the Old Testament. There are examples over and over again, God commanding the Israelites to remember and they would take part in special ways to remember different acts. We sang of the Song of Moses, remembering when God delivered the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And you remember God instituted the Passover meal as a way for them to remember that act again and again and again. In fact, this is what he said about the Passover. Do that so that all the days of your life you may remember the time of your departure from Egypt. In other words, no matter what you're experiencing in the present, children of Israel, once a year, remember the Passover, because you'll remember that I delivered you from that time, and I can deliver you again. We get to the New Testament, and something we celebrate every month here is communion, the Lord's Supper. Why? Because Jesus told his church, do this to remember me, and I don't know about you, I got to remember that. I've got to come back to that again and again and again in my life and remind myself exactly what it is Jesus did for me. Why all this emphasis on remembering in the Bible? Because God knows, especially in times of testing, we are prone to forget. In fact, you read through the Old Testament, one of the complaints God has for the people is they've forgotten him. You've forgotten me. And the result is they have turned from him. And Paul is writing to Timothy Wanting to make sure, in us still today, that when we face times of testing, we do not forget what Jesus has done and who Jesus is. Because by remembering him, we can have the faith to endure, even the most difficult time of testing. So would you take your Bible with me and turn to 2 Timothy. We are in chapter 2 right now, starting in verse 8 this morning. And if you didn't bring a Bible, we always carry uh, Bibles in the seat in front of you there for your use. And you can find 2 Timothy 8 on page 832. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home with you as our gift to you this morning. But we're learning to be first-handers, so we want to get our fingers in the text this morning. Now, before I actually read those verses, let me just set a little bit of context here. If you've been with us in this series, you know some of this already, but Paul is writing this letter of 2 Timothy while he is imprisoned in a Roman prison, and he's writing it to his young protege, his friend, a pastor named Timothy. And pastor, or Timothy is actually pastoring the church at Ephesus, which Paul had helped plant. And the reason he's writing this letter is because both Paul and Timothy and many of the Christians during this time were going through an intense time of, of, of suffering, of testing, of persecution. Uh, this persecution was coming from both the outside and the inside. And I want to talk a little bit about that, but let's just pause here. As we continue this series in enduring, I wanted to say this up there on your notes. Testing can come from both outside and inside the church. You know that, right? 
So often I think we think, we sit here and we just think about the testing that's going to come from outside, and I think it's going to get worse and worse and worse, right? We're, we're, we need to be ready for that, but sometimes testing can come from within the, our own church body. Let me explain what's going on here. Outside the church, this letter is written during the reign of Nero. If you know anything about the Roman Emperor Nero, you know that while he reigned, the persecution against the Christians was horrendous. They were often murdered, imprisoned, mocked, beaten. Paul is in prison because of the outside testing of Rome. And Timothy, he's being writing Timothy, it was coming his way too. However, there was also a testing going on inside the church at Ephesus. Like most churches, Ephesus had been infiltrated by some false teachers. And at the heart of these false teachers was their teaching an incorrect view of Jesus Christ. They were teaching something called docetism. It's a Greek kind of thought which taught that Jesus Christ wasn't really a man. He just appeared to be a man because God couldn't possibly become a man, right? And so that meant that the resurrection didn't really happen in the bodily way. I mean, Jesus wasn't really raised from the dead bodily. It just appeared like Jesus raised from the dead. Now today, the false teaching we're most likely to hear and you've probably understood this. this isn't so much people questioning whether Jesus was really a man. I think we're all good with that. Jesus was a good teacher. He was a prophet. He, Jesus of Galilee. He lived, right? Most people are okay. But what we are going to hear is that Jesus couldn't possibly have also been God. And we learned last spring, if you were here in our series on Hebrews, ultimately this is where biblical Christianity parts ways with so many other faiths. We talked about how the Koran teaches that Jesus wasn't really God. Mormonism, ultimately, when you sum it all down, won't say that Jesus is the God. Jehovah's Witness, the New Age movement, these testings are going to keep coming towards the church. But Paul, right here in one sentence, is going to address both of these false teachings by reminding Timothy exactly who Jesus is. So let's read through these verses together. I'm going to have us read verse 8 out loud on our notes, but I'm going to go all the way through verse 10 so you can keep following in your Bibles. But let's read verse 8 together. It says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. I'll continue. For which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In these verses, we have three things Paul encourages Timothy to remember about who Jesus is. And by the way, I'll just quick pause here. Remember doesn't mean like a one-time deal. Remember this once, Timothy. Remember means bring this to mind often. Bring these three things to mind often. The first thing Paul encourages Timothy to remember is, number one, remember the resurrection. He says it right there. Raised from the dead. Why? Why is this the first thing to remember? Here Paul is emphasizing Jesus' divine nature. He's emphasizing Jesus' divine nature. And if you're following, it reminds us of Jesus' power, even in times of testing. That tense in the Greek, raised from the dead, isn't so much Paul saying to Timothy, hey, remember that day when Jesus raised, was raised from the dead? No, it means remember the risen Lord. He is still risen. And he sits in power and authority at the right hand of the Father, ruling the nations in his sovereignty. Remember the resurrection 
of Christ. This is why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, 14, and if Christ has not been raised, which is what those false teachers were teaching, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why is our faith in vain if Christ didn't really rise from the dead? Because if Christ didn't really rise from the dead, then Jesus is not God. And if Jesus is not God, what are we doing here? What are we singing about? What are we worshiping? But because he has risen, he proved himself. And because he has proven himself, our victory is secured. You know, you're thinking right now, what good does it do for me in my daily life to remember the resurrection? Here's what good it does us. We can remind ourselves, well, no, matter, no matter what testing I might be facing, Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power to help see me through it. I've been reading a book about China lately, and uh, in, in this book, one of the stories tells of, a, of an army coming against a city, and they were going to attack the city. Part of the army were trained soldiers, but also there were just peasants who had no weapons. They didn't even have any armor, but they were the front of the line, and they believed they were invincible, that no bullet was going to hurt them because before this battle, they had drinking holy water. Well, they fought. They fought that day like they believed they couldn't die. And uh, they found out a harsh reality that they could die. Now listen, we've got something much better than holy water in the resurrection of Christ, right? We can fight the good fight, as Paul is going to tell Timothy. We can go through times of suffering and testing. Why? Because even though this body may perish, we will not die. We are indestructible. We are immortal. We are eternal beings, those who are in Christ, so we can sing together as we often do. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? We can face any battle, any testing head on because the victory is secured. If you're falling on your notes, the resurrection guarantees our victory in life and death. So listen, if you're being called to some great task right now, if you're in the valley, you got to remember the resurrection. There is power. There is power waiting for you when fears threaten, when doubts invade the mind, when inadequacy depresses you, when times of testing come, remember the risen Lord. Remember the risen Lord. Even if your body should perish, which if you know anything from history, Paul's is about to. Paul's is about to. We can be assured because of the resurrection we will never die. So, number one, remember the resurrection. Number two, remember the incarnation. That's a fancy way of saying, remember God became flesh. Remember Jesus, who was God, was also human. Literally here it says, descended from David. This is speaking of the promise God made to David thousand years before in 2 Samuel chapter 7, some of you remember this promise God says to him, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And the immediate that was fulfilled in King Solomon, but this is pointing to a much bigger promise that through the seed of David would come one who would rule and reign forever. And that was accomplished when Jesus 
was born to Mary in Bethlehem. God became human, fulfilling the promise made here to David. If you're following on your notes, here's what that means for us. Being human, Jesus can fully empathize with us. Empathize, what's that mean? Sympathize, whatever word you want to put there. But he understands our condition. What good is it to remember that Jesus is human in your times of testing? It's been a lot of good for me. It's been a lot of good for me. You see, I used to have this picture of God, this mental image of God, that God was so other, he sat up on his throne in heaven, aloof to all of my little itty-bitty cares and concerns. I mean, after all, there's much bigger things going on in the world, right, than my, my poor times of testing. You know, that was my picture. But I needed to remember Jesus Christ, fully human. He walked in our world. He lived our life. He suffered for our sakes. This is what we were talking about in Hebrews last spring. I love these words again. Since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. That's us now in Christ. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of his people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. That means a lot to me. That word tempted can also mean tested, by the way. That means a lot to me in my times of testing. Jesus ain't aloof in heaven. He went through it. So I can go to him and receive mercy and faithfulness. There's no other God that claims that. There's no other God that claims that he endured what we often have to endure. In fact, remember, Timothy, if you're following, Jesus endured the most severe testing ever. And because he did, we can too. We can too. Don't remember some unconcerned God in heaven when you remember Jesus. Remember one who walked with us, lived with us, and struggled with us, and suffered for us. Remember him because you can go to him in strength and know he will give you grace. Paul says, this is my gospel. Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descendant of David, fully God, fully man. Remember him. Now, before we move on to the third thing uh, in the next verses, I'm just going to do a little pause here and tell you one more thing, why, what this teaches us about how and why God uses times of testing in our lives. You see, as a, an American Christian, you know what I want? I want comfort and security. I don't like testing, so I want to avoid testing. Can I get an amen, brothers and sisters? But all throughout Scripture, we're told this is the paradox of the Christian faith. You know what God wants for us? He wants us to be transformed in the image of the likeness of Jesus Christ. And you know what one of the principles of the Bible is? That oftentimes that takes place best in times of testing and suffering and hardship. James writes this in chapter one. He says, consider it pure joys, my brother and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. No. It's not pure joy. 
until I realize what's really going on because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work. What's his work? To conform me into the image of Christ so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Friends, the paradox of our faith is that God often uses testing to lead us to the path of glory. That's the same path Jesus took. Remember Jesus Christ, God becoming flesh, giving his life on a cross, now glorified and exalted in heaven, and it's gonna be the same path he may ask us to take as well. But just remember him, remember him. Third thing Paul encourages Timothy to remember is remember the gospel. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. More specifically, Timothy, remember Jesus is the good news for everyone who believes. Don't forget this, that Jesus is the good news. Let's read verses 9 and 10 again. I'll start there with, this is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, why is Paul willing to suffer these things? Why is he encouraging Timothy to endure? Why should we endure? Among many of the reasons, one of the reasons we see here is that oftentimes our testing is for the good of others. Through times of testing, other people can come to know the salvation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember who Jesus is, Timothy. He's not just for you. He's not just for you. He is the salvation for all those God has called to eternal glory. But get this. He wants to use you to spread that message. And he will often use you most in your times of testing. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced this? You look at some people, you can look at people in your life, you go, wow, I admire their faith. Why? Because they went through a time of testing. And they came out as faithful. You may have never heard this saying, but it, it, sa it said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. And this has been true throughout the history of Christianity, starting in the book of Acts. Right away, right, they're, they're realizing, the authorities are realizing, we better put a, a lid on this stuff. And so they arrest Peter, and they're arresting him. What's happened, though? God's word is unchained. You can't imprison the word of God. Paul is telling Timothy again and again, listen, even if they were to imprison every Christian leader, God's message will still get out there. It'll still get out there. I read a story this week, a true story about Bruce and Jan Benson. Some of you have maybe heard this story. I'm going to refer to my notes here just so I don't mess anything up. But they were a Bible translator serving in Peru. And several years ago, they were driving down an Andean road with, Andean road, excuse me, with a lot of switchbacks with their 14-year-old son. And they came around the corner in one of these switchbacks, and they came right up against a pickup truck full of terrorists by the name of the Shining Path. And Jan thought to herself, this is it. This is the end of our lives. And the terrorists got out of the truck. They forced the Bensons into their truck, and they were going to take them away. And there they are in the back of this truck. They're, they're freaking out until Jan uh, clearly hears the voice of God to praise her even in this moment. 
And so she began singing that song, You Are My Hiding Place, and this peace comes over their family. They don't know what's going to happen, but this is a brutal group. They don't let people go, but later that night, this group decides to let the Bensons go. And they're just like, wow. Unfortunately, they confiscated all of their things, including their car and everything else that they had. And so they just kind of sent them away. They had to find their way to safety, but they were just amazed that they had let them go. Now, years later, one of the group in the Shining Path Terrorist came and found them. They were in a safer place at this point, and he came to them and said, can you forgive us for, forgiving you, or for kidnapping you that night? And they're like, yeah, we forgive you. Can you tell us what happened? Well, what had happened is I told you they confiscated all the stuff that they were, had in their car. One of the things they had in the car was the Jesus film. And these terrorists kind of got the car all emptied, and they saw this uh, film process, film uh, camera, and they saw this film. They were like, let's watch whatever this is that they had. And so all these terrorists, picture it, 200 terrorists are sitting here watching the Jesus film in their own language. <laughs> and this guy said, a number of us that night, laid down our weapons, and gave our lives to Christ. Though, God's, though, though we may be imprisoned, God's word is never chained. God's never chained. You could no more chain the word of God and the message of salvation than you could chain God himself. Here's what this means for us today. Enduring means we don't hunker down in our safe little Christian bunkers. As safe and comfortable as that sounds. That sounds good to me. When the onslaught comes, let's just all huddle together. No. It means we have to be even more purposeful in carrying this message of life, even to our enemies, because we remember this message saves. It is the message of salvation for those God has called to eternal glory, and he has called us to be the heralds of this message. If you're following on your notes, remember the gospel is unchained and the world is waiting for it. So remember who Jesus is. He is raised from the dead, descendant of David and the hope of the world. But that's not all Paul encourages Timothy to remember. Don't just remember who Jesus is. In verses 11 through 13, he goes on to encourage Timothy to also remember Jesus' promises to us. Some of you have heard of the old famous preacher. His name was Peter Marshall. And Peter Marshall used to be in the middle of a sermon, and what would happen uh, is he would be so overwhelmed by God's word that he would just break out into a song. You've been here when Pastor F does that, right? I mean, now, the elders are forbidden for me to do that because it wouldn't be a song of praise for you all at that point. Uh, but that's exactly what's going on right here in this scripture, I think. Paul is so overcome by remembering who Jesus is, he breaks out into this song where he reminds Timothy of all the amazing promises we have in Jesus Christ. And these are promises that are still true today for us and can help us in times of testing. Each promise begins with an if statement. Let's read verses 11 through 13 here. It says, here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Right there we see four promises that we can bank on as trustworthy. First, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Huh? Well, I haven't died yet. Yes, I have, actually. 
Because throughout the Bible, to use this phrase, to die with Christ, means that we have turned away from our old way of life, right? We have seen our sin and we have called it what it is. The biblical word here is we've repented and we have now turned to Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And when that moment happens, we die with Christ and we are raised to new life. Paul expands this in Romans chapter 6. These are wonderful verses to, to remember and to come back to again and again. It says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's conversion, when you are born again, when you turn away from your old life and receive Christ, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know, here's the key, that our old self was crucified, it's dead, it's gone, with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Do you understand the promise there? If you're following on your notes, when we die to our old way of life, we are raised to new life. That's the promise of the gospel. It's the promise of conversion. The moment you trusted Christ, the moment you gave up your old way of living and you turned to him for the forgiveness of your sins, you've been given a new life. So often we have reduced that down in America, meaning I got my ticket to heaven. Woohoo! There's so much more to it. There's so much more to the new life we have. There's so much more to this promise we've been given in Christ. It means that we can live right now as new creations, filled with the presence and power of God, Christ in us. This is the promise of Galatians 2.20. Read it out loud on your notes there. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Let that sink in a second. That's incredible. It's the mystery of the gospel, Paul says. Christ in me. It's the hope of glory. It's the new life. That is why one of the reasons we baptize the way we do at our church by immersion, right? What a picture of someone going underneath the water, dying to to their old selves, coming up into new life in Jesus Christ. And if you've had that experience, Paul says, remember the promise. Remember the promise of new life. The second promise is if we endure, we will also reign with him. Here's our word, endure. Again, this doesn't mean one time endure. It means keep on enduring. Conversion is only going to happen once, but enduring is a continual act, right? There's going to be times of testing coming our way throughout our lives. But when we endure, did you see the promise? It's taken me 30 years to wrap my mind around this, and I still don't get it. Do you see what the promise is here? If you're following on your notes, the reward of enduring is reigning with Christ. Come on. I mean, that's just like, it's just exaggerated speak, right? I mean, what that really means is we're going to be in, our, in heaven on our clouds playing our harps, and we're going to just have eternal rest, right? That's like heaven? No. Somehow, and I still don't fully understand this, Part of what it means to reign with Christ is when the new heaven and the new earth are, are created, God is going to invite us to join him in that work. He's going to call upon our giftedness, our imaginations. He's going to say, hey, what do you want to do today, Steve? 
I'll be like, I don't know, God, what, what do you think we should do? I mean, it's going to be this amazing experience, and we have so reduced heaven down to such a meaningless thing, we've got to recover the amazing beauty and glory that it's going to be. We are going to reign with Christ. Luke 19 tells us this promise in the parable. The king says, well done to the faithful servant. You are a good servant. You have been faithful with the little I entrusted to you, so you will be governor of ten cities as your reward. That doesn't sound like ten clouds with ten harps. That sounds like we're actually going to be doing stuff, meaningful stuff in heaven. For those who endure, you will reign with Christ. The third promise Paul encourages Timothy to remember is if we disown him, he will disown us. Now that doesn't sound so much like a promise. It's more of a warning. The word disown, this is really important here. It means a deliberate refusal of Jesus as Lord. A deliberate refusal. This is more of a warning, isn't it? But I've learned as I become a parent that oftentimes warnings are also promises. You know what I mean? I'm going to warn you, don't touch the fire because you'll get burned. What's the promise behind that? If you don't touch the fire, you'll be safe. If you listen to my instruction, I will keep you safe. Same thing here. The warning reveals commitment to Christ must be total. To disown him means he will disown us. If you're falling on your notes, to deliberately disown Jesus results in eternal separation. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 10. I printed these verses on your notes there. Would you read them with me? It says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Jesus just can't vouch for someone in eternity who wanted nothing to do with him in time. Now, if you're sitting here, you're worried. Well, what if I endure? What if I disown him? Let me just calm your fears here. This is a warning to the phony. And there were a lot of them in the church of Ephesus. And there's a lot of them still today. A lot of people who claim, oh yeah, I know Jesus, but when the times of testing come, I don't want anything to do with him. And they disown him. If you know Christ as your Savior, if those first two promises have been fulfilled in your life, right, you've been given a new life in him, this is nothing us to fear that's exactly why the next promise is given it says if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot disown himself well is that saying the complete opposite thing no the difference between being faithless and disowning is the difference between peter and judas every one of us is going to be faithless amen prone to wander lord i feel it we sing prone to leave the god i love check me up on that I'll be the first to acknowledge it. I am faithless at times, especially times of testing in my life by my very nature. Peter was faithless, and yet Jesus restored him. So what a comfort to us to know even when we are faithless, he is faithful. This doesn't give us a license for faithlessness, rather. It just means even when I wander, even when I sin, He is faithful. He is faithful in his promise to me. I get the question asked all the time, can I lose my salvation? And the answer is, if God can lie, then yes, you can. But if God is faithful and true, 
then you can. We are secure, Paul says here, because he cannot disown himself. In other words, here's the promise. Our security isn't based on our faith. Can we all just go, right now? You know, I've heard those stories. I used to fear this as a kid. Oh, what if I die after I sin? What's get? Our security isn't based on our faith, but on Jesus' faithfulness. It's all about what we talked about last week, that word grace. Your conversion was all grace. You better, you better realize that, right? You did nothing to earn that. And the way you live your Christian life still today, your security in Christ is all grace. It's all his faithfulness. Here's a great verse to remember if this is something you struggle with. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Forget Nike. They got nothing on our God. They got nothing on our God. He will do it. Hudson Taylor, missionary to China, often said, I love this quote, and some of you need to hear this and let this sink into your life this morning. It is not by trying to be faithful, but in looking to the faithful one that we will win the victory. What a promise for us to rest in. Amen? There's a great story about Helen of Troy. I don't know if this is a myth, a legend, whatever. Uh, some of you know about Helen of Troy, but something that they say happened to Helen of Troy was that at one point she loses her memory, and she's uh, captured by a foreign army. She's brought back to their city. They have no idea actually who she is because she doesn't have any memory of who she is, so they set her free in the city where she is a beggar and a wanderer. Here she is, the queen, a beggar and a wanderer, until one day her memory returns. And she thinks, wait a minute, what am I doing? I am a queen, and it changes her perspective, and it changes the way she lives. Now, why share that story? Here's why. I think too many of us as Christians live as beggars in this world. Because we have forgotten who we are. Who we are is based on who Christ is and the promises he has given to us. I started this morning with a question. I want to ask you the same question this morning. How good are you at remembering? I don't care so much about how many pictures you can remember. What I care more about is how good are you at remembering something much more important. How good are you at remembering who Jesus is and his promises to you? If you're falling on your notes by remembering Jesus and his promises, we can endure anything. We can endure anything anything. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, what a word for us this morning. And we want to spend time to remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, which means fully God, all-powerful, descendant from David, fully human, can empathize with everything we're going through. We remember that your word, your gospel is unchained, and that you want to use us to set people free in salvation. We remember the promises you give us. That when we die to ourselves, we are raised to new life in Christ. That when we endure, we will reign with you for all eternity. And that even when we are faithless, you are the faithful one. We remember and we rejoice this morning. In gratitude, all God's people said, amen.